and welcome to the Pragmatic Live podcast series, where we tackle the biggest challenges facing today's product management and marketing professionals with some of the best minds in the industry. I'm Rebecca Caligaris, Vice President of Marketing at Pragmatic Marketing, and your host for this episode. Joining me today is Luke Freiler, CEO of CenterCode, a customer validation platform and services company. Hello, Luke, and welcome. Hello, Rebecca. Thank you. All right, Luke, you and I recently did a webinar together on customer validation and how you can utilize that to guide product plans and roadmaps. Um, it was extremely popular. We couldn't get through all the questions. We had over 700 guests. Um, but one area in particular, particular that there were lots of questions about and interest in was how to leverage customer validation and testing techniques in a continuous development, continuous release type environment. So I thought we should just hop on a podcast uh, and dig right into that topic. Absolutely. Sounds great. But first, to get started, Luke, just give us a little bit more background about you and what you're passionate about and what CenterCode is passionate about. Absolutely. So I personally, as well as the company behind me, am incredibly passionate about technology as a whole. So something we, we talk about constantly um, is how impactful we believe technology really should be on people's lives, that it should increase our reach and improve our quality of life and, and ultimately reduce the friction in our lives. And, and we believe that technology serves that purpose, but often struggles to do so. So there's a, a quote we use quite often, which is technology is a word for something that doesn't work yet. It's a Douglas Adams quote we think is really clever. It's in sort of our lobby right when you walk into the building. And as such, we look at that as an opportunity and that we really help companies create technology that works and specifically works in the eyes of their customers, um, which is most important. So we've been doing this a long time. Uh, we've been at this since 2001. We're, we're a leader in the field by pretty much any metric. And we've worked with just countless wonderful companies, um, primarily high growth technology and sort of modern enterprises, um, everyone from Citibank and Ford to Fitbit and Google and, and GoPro and, and in between. So we've had just incredible opportunities to work with wonderful companies. And in short, what we do is work with them to learn how to better engage their customers during development to ultimately leverage um, what they have to say and what they think to, to build a better product. Sounds great. So, okay, so that tells us a little bit about customer validation and why you do it, who you do it for, why it matters. Um, can you just give us like a, an overview of a typical project for you guys? Sure. So there's really two sides to, to our business and how we engage with companies. We have a platform offering, which is sort of a self-serve offering where companies come to us. They license our platform in a subscription, a SaaS model, and it provides a full infrastructure for a customer validation program. So basically what it gives them is the ability to build a community of their customers, which are highly profiled, to target specific subsets of those customers, to recruit them into focused projects, and then it gives them everything they need to run those projects. So from there, they can qualify them further with surveys. They can NDA them. They can distribute software and, and uh, product to them. They can then collect feedback from them in various forms. They can allow those users to collaborate. And then also that feedback can be prioritized and scored. So we have something called impact scoring, which takes a variety of different signals, including severity and frequency, and it helps prioritize feedback. So when we're looking for things like bug reports or ideas to influence the roadmap or collecting things like journals, um, all of that can be done within the platform and then prioritized so that those can be turned into actionable results. And then the platform has a reporting component, which allows them to build reports on all of this data and then strong integration 
capabilities to tie into all of their existing systems like single sign-on platforms, defect tracking tools, and so on. So it's effectively a one-stop shop for everything they need for customer validation. And then on top of that, it also includes all of the processes and assets necessary to get this done beyond the technology. So that includes what we call the customer validation framework, CVF, and everything necessary there, as well as things like certifications and whatnot to be a CVF or a customer validation professional. So that's the platform side of the business. The service side of the business, which is the other half of our revenue, um, is a managed project-based scenario. So companies come to us and we manage these tests on their behalf. So we have a local team here in California um, that is customer validation professionals. They're, they're certified in our own frameworks and whatnot, and we run those projects. So what that typically means is we start with an interview with a product manager. We sit down and we learn about them. We learn about their market. We learn about their product, their challenges, what's keeping them up at night. Uh, we take all of that and we build that into a test plan. So it's a, a comprehensive plan. It's about 25 pages long of everything we would do to run and execute that test. Once that's been agreed upon, then we recruit directly from their target market. We're looking for users who meet both the demographic and the technical requirements and targets of that product. So we're bringing those users in. We then qualify those testers to find the most targeted, enthusiastic strangers possible. And then from there, we handle all of the communication and collaboration with those testers back and forth. So we distribute product, we handle the NDA and legal process, uh, we inform those testers as to what's going on, and then on a week-to-week -week basis, we're engaging with those testers to get their feedback relative to the goals of that product manager. So from there, we then collect all that data, and on a weekly basis, we're reporting our findings in a form of recommendations, which we call FIPS. And that means what needs to be fixed, what should be improved, and what could be promoted about this product. So week after week, we're going over topic by topic what should be uh, handled in that capacity with those product managers. At the end of the test, we typically get the product back, handle some sort of incentive for those end users to keep them engaged and sort of thank them for their effort, and then we close out that product and typically move on to the next. So that's sort of the services side, and sort of the way our company's formed is about half of our revenue comes from the platform side, and about half comes from that service side. It's, it's almost evenly split, and what's really wonderful about that is we have our own test kitchen, and we're constantly learning and engaging in hundreds of different product types, and we can take that knowledge and then bring it to all of our SaaS customers as well. So typically, where in the sort of product life cycle, product release cycle, do these testing drop in? Sure. So it, customer validation itself has, has a few phases within it. Prior to release, there's three distinct phases that we focus on. We have an alpha test, a beta test, and a field test. So an alpha test is relatively early. It's once some level of QA has been done and you're ready, you know, sort of the product team and engineering team agrees that the more technical customers are, are able to get their hands on it. You want to start getting it out into real environments and, and the real world. So that's an alpha test that also typically includes an aspect of dog fooding, meaning you've got your own employees who are testing as well at the same time and also contributing feedback. So that's a very technical focused test. It typically happens once some level of QA, professional QA, internally has already happened. And also those tests can go a long time because they typically sort of align with sprints. So you're testing and, and constantly iterating and those users are a bit more technical and understand that the software is going to be changing on them or the hardware is going to be changing on them even. Typically in, in a hardware product, you're changing things like firmware. In a software product, you're changing the product itself um, or the software itself. So that's alpha. And that can happen anywhere from two weeks to dozens of weeks, depending on what the product is. 
Um, once you get past that and you're ready to start introducing real customers who aren't so technical and you want to start introducing real demographic customers, not just technically profiled customers, um, then you get to beta. And beta typically happens when you're somewhat near feature complete. You're not completely there necessarily, but you're very close. Um, if possible, feature complete is nice. We're not generally looking to add a bunch of new features in beta. We're looking for quality and polish and to, again, sort of polish the user experience and the customer experience. Um, in our world, in, in customer validation, beta is pretty specific in that it's not a matter of just giving testers a product and expecting them to, to give you feedback, but rather it's taking them on a tour of the product. The goal of a good beta is to get as many eyes on as much of the product as possible in as short a time as possible. And again, these are real customer eyes. So in that case, what we're looking for is taking them on a tour on a week-by-week -week basis. We're going to introduce a series of topics to those users, and those topics are going to be where the focus is. So all of the testers are sort of conglomerating around those um, specific topics, and that happens week over week until we get through the entire product. Um, typically after beta, or sometimes it starts during the, the end of, or during the latter stages of beta, um, you then have a field test. And a field test is then introducing it to a wider audience. And typically it's two to three times the size of a beta. A beta might be 25 to 50 people. Uh, a field test is, is often 100 or more, depending on the product category. And a field test is much more about organic or sort of natural usage. So whereas a beta, we're trying to make sure we get eyes on every feature. A field test, it's not, it's not quite the same. It's, the idea is they may not use certain features, and that in itself is telling. And then field tests, because they're much more natural usage-based, also have an even greater sort of data component. Most modern products have some sort of telematics or, or you know, data package on the back end that they can use to capture information from. Field test is very much focused on that. And depending on the product category, a field test may or may not be reasonable or viable with time and budget. Um, but ideally, you've got an alpha, a beta, and a field, and then you have a final release. And once you get to field, your product is basically a release candidate. It's very close to what the real customer experience is going to be because it is a test of that real customer experience, and you're just hoping for polish and validation at that point. Well, then, you know, when we talk about your typical process and how it usually works, you can see why some of our listeners who have a continuous development, continuous release cycle might feel like this testing then runs against the timing of which, you know, if they're putting product in the market every two, four, six weeks, um, how that might run against sort of their other internal cycles. So how do we integrate those? How do we take what we, the good stuff from testing and make sure we're getting that customer validation, but in a way that allows for, the, the typical movements of this type of environment. Absolutely. So what I just described was basically alpha, beta, and field. And what we're typically doing those on is sort of a new product or a big release cycle. And, and very obviously, as you pointed out, that doesn't really align well um, with an ongoing agile product. If you look at the way that products are developed today, typically there's a really enormous effort to get something big out the door, be it hardware or software. And then that product is iterated on, you know, in some cases forever. Um, you know, I was at Roku a few weeks ago talking about how they've, you know, dominated in, in the TV space now, the Roku TV, and they're, they're one out of four TVs sold now, which is just an enormous accomplishment for a company that hasn't been around very long. Um, but what's interesting about them is every platform they release thus far has supported um, all of the TVs that they've released since early 2015, and, and that's just something that's a big company initiative for them is, is to make sure that they're continually supporting their customers and building an awesome experience. And, you know, the reality of, of product development today is if you're producing a speaker and it supports AirPlay 2, and a year later, you know, before, you know, way after you, you even touched it, 
um, AirPlay 3 comes out, your customers are expecting that to work. And if it doesn't work, they're going to blame you and, and not Apple in that case. So that's a huge problem. So so what we're talking about now in sort of continuous customer testing is, is what we've been referring to um, as basically delta testing. And if you think of alpha, beta, obviously, delta is kind of a, a clever going down the Greek alphabet. But the other thing that to think about is what delta means is the difference between two things. So what we're looking at from release to release is the difference from one test to another or one product to another. So if I'm doing an iterative release every month, then what I'm really doing is augmenting that product with new functionality and by extension, new risk every month. And therefore, we would use a delta test to test the difference between those with real customers. So... There's a number of differences with a Delta test, and, and a lot of them really surround the users. Um, the actual testing is very, very similar. It's just sort of a subset. So earlier I described, so, so starting with kind of the testing, let, let's imagine that we've got um, a monthly release cycle, just as an example. So every month I'm going to come out with a new release that's going to get pushed out to customers, um, you know, typically via OTA or automatically through software. So, so real customers aren't doing much to get this. They're just going to constantly inherit new features. Um, the way a Delta test would work is we basically have a group of testers who are always a month ahead in that case. And that's a group of, of sort of self-elected users, people who've, who've identified that they want to help shape this product. They're very interested in this product. And what we would do is take very similar processes from beta in terms of mapping the product and building those into topics. And we would do that in a more agile form on a monthly basis. So each month we're obviously introducing new functionality or fixing specific things that would translate to a much smaller series of topics, but then it would follow a very similar process to beta. In other words, week over week, in that case, we'd have four weeks in a month. We would assign a series of topics to a group of testers and say, hey, this is sort of the roadmap for this month, looking what we're trying to introduce. And then each week, we would test a subset of those. We would introduce maybe two or three topics this week, two or three topics next week. And then at the end of that month, we would hopefully have all of the features that are going to go into that release. And obviously, if we were doing weekly releases, the same thing would apply. We'd be a week or so ahead. We'd have an even smaller uh, subset of topics because you can only do so much in a week. And then week over week, we would test it. And the same general concepts would apply. The goal is to turn all these results into something actionable that can be sent you know, out within the company. Um, thankfully, we don't quite have the, the fire hose effect of, of a big test and you know, six weeks of data. But we still need to make sure that everything that we get is actionable. And even more so because we have to do it very rapidly. So the goal of, of a Delta test is still to produce information in this form of, okay, what do we need to fix in this release? What do we need to um, improve in this release? And, and what could we be promoting? Um, one of the other nice things about um, about sort of beta leading into something like a Delta and an ongoing product lifecycle is that one of the challenges that we see in a beta test, for example, is a lot of good ideas. And a lot of people sort of come to us and say, hey, if we're, if we're near feature complete and we're getting all these good ideas, isn't it too late? And back in the older days, when you did one sort of fire and forget product release, that was true. But in this iterative release process, by constantly having a new flow of sort of customer input in terms of where the roadmap goes, we have that um, cycle of information constantly coming in and, and those improvements and, um, sorry, yeah, I guess improvements would be the best case here, um, will apply to your future Delta tests. So they're just sort of influencing your roadmap. Let's take a quick break and we'll get right back into it. Did you know that according to a recent third-party study from Tech Validate, the average attendee at Pragmatic Marketing reduces their time to market by more than 25%? Get time back on your side and register today at pragmaticmarketing.com slash buy. 
So, so that's sort of the, the actual testing side is, is very similar to beta. Um, where things get really different in a Delta test is, is in the users. Um, because you can't just go get 100 users and expect them to test indefinitely. Um, you have to treat it a little bit differently. So in our world, uh, the way we recruit is we typically have um, two sort of numbers that we're targeting. We have a, a core number of testers and we have a surplus number of testers. And the core is basically the number we want to hit. So let's say that we have, uh, we want, you know, 50 people in the field using a product for a period of time. We have a certain number of hours we're trying to meet or whatever it happens to be. Um, so we understand typically that these are real volunteers uh, out from our customer base. So of if I were to just target 50, there's a good chance a, a subset would fall off for some reason, real life gets in the way. Um, so the surplus allows us to add just enough people to uh, ensure that we're gonna be able to hit that minimum target. So we know roughly how many time, you know, hours this is being used and how many homes or businesses the product is being used in. Um, so that same concept applies here, but it's very important that we constantly monitor um, what our churn is and, and what sort of surplus we need because this type of test is very much about replenishment. And what we're looking to do is sort of build a community of, of a, a subset of users who in one part are going to act as our testers. Um, on another part, and this is pretty important, is we want them to think of themselves as sort of a customer advisory board as well because that gives them a reason to be here beyond just being bug hunters and just loving the product. Now, again, there's a, a lot of sort of core customer validation concept that goes into this type of testing. Um, one of the goals of customer validation is to really consider the problem that your product solves and then target the individuals that are interested in that, that, that want that problem solved, that it impacts their life in some way. And in some cases, that problem is entertainment and, you know, it's a video game or something. In other cases, it's, you know, a B2B problem. It's something that, that affects them professionally. Regardless, we need to go find those people. We need to find the people that are sort of passionate about the product. And then what we do is build a base and including that surplus. And then we need to monitor very closely what those numbers look like because we're constantly replenishing. So in our world, we typically have a community of users who are sort of ready and waiting, and that, that applies here very much. And then we're bringing in testers um, for a specific project. In the Delta test scenario, you basically think of each new phase as a new opportunity to let a few people churn out and a few people um, come in. Another important aspect of, of Delta that's very different than beta, though, um, is in a beta, we're looking for people to commit to a term, and we understand that we're sort of running up against the clock, and, and there's a lot of, you know, we need as much of engagement as possible. Um, typically, another thing about beta that's different is there's a, a heavy constraint aspect to most betas, um, especially of a physical product. You typically have limited quantities of, of you know, pre-production hardware. Uh, of a software product, you're typically not looking to expose too many and, and waste too much time. So beta is all about maximizing a, a limited number of testers, and therefore we need them to participate from start to end. Because, for example, if we've only got a three-week test and somebody drops off, first of all, it's going to take us a few days to figure out they dropped off. But then second of all, we may not have extra hardware or extra product um, easily available to, relink, you know, to, to replenish and, and find new people. The nice thing about a Delta test is you're almost specific, you're almost always testing on real customers because this is an update. This is something new. Um, so there's a lot of advantages in this case to using new customers, whereas with a beta, the entire product might be new. new therefore, you don't have those existing customers necessarily because nobody has it yet. Um, so for a Delta, what we're looking for is people, we, we want to bring in enthusiastic people, but 
one difference we're sort of long-windedly getting at here is those people need to know that it's okay to leave at any time. You know, in a beta, we want them to stay. We really want to encourage them and get as much engagement as possible because those people are um, a very valuable resource. But because typically we have a lot to choose from because the product is already at market and typically people um, align with products they like and whatnot, they're not that hard to find real customers of a, of a live product. Um, we want them to know that it's okay to leave and so much so that what we want is for them to tell us proactively, I'm not interested in testing anymore. So you want to give them a means to do that and make it a very positive thing because what's nice about that is you don't have to wait a week or two to figure out that they've left and therefore your churn comes from that. If they proactively tell you, then you can manage your churn and your timeframes much faster. So each new cycle and you know everybody in Agile has some sort of cycle, it's a week, two weeks, a month, whatever it happens to be, um, you're going to look for replenishment and what you're looking for is to sort of study your churn over time so that you know exactly how many new people you need, bring in some fresh faces, and typically you're going to have groups form that are just sort of the old dogs that absolutely love the product and, and work on it a lot, but you're always going to have fresh faces as well due to the churn, and that's a wonderful balance. That's exactly how real customers work as well. You have the people that have had the product for a while, and you've always got the new faces who didn't exist six releases ago. So those are some of the core differences. Um, I could talk more about other differences, but it basically comes down to um, the people. The people are very different. The process is actually very similar. Um, it really is just sort of a never-ending beta test with a more agile approach to topics. And so that each release, you're obviously putting out something new or you're targeting some area of the product. Um, you just need to target those things specifically. It's really not in a Delta test, the customer's job to smoke test the entire product. That really is something that your um, end users, or I'm sorry, your, your quality testers should be focusing on. Um, in this case, it's mostly focusing on what's new to the product. Where are we injecting risk with each new release? That's who we want to focus on. Is there also, when you think about the people aspect of it, is there an aspect of this that the people receiving the information um, you have to treat them a little differently. When you give them continuous feedback from the test, is it hard for them to consume it? Um, as far as the testers go? Well, no, I was thinking more of the sort of the product, your customers, right? The product managers who are receiving this oh. or even the executives when you want to kind of roll up and share the, the test results. Sort of. It's actually, the nice thing about it is it just aligns very well with, with Agile, you know, and, and there's very few, from what we've experienced at least, companies that are doing iterative releases that don't have to imply some form of, of Agile process, right? It's just the nature of you're not doing mm -hmm. these big waterfall releases. So there's a good chance that the company has already aligned around that thinking. And this just furthers that mentality of you've already got your, your agile process and you're already looking at, at sprints. Um, this perfectly aligns with sprints and, and therefore executives and everyone else who are sort of involved in the product. Um, if they, if they care about these iterative releases, if it is a core part of their process, um, then they're already sort of well attuned with, with how this works. So, um, it is very nice that these results are being given in a form that's designed uh, for their consumption. So, like I said, that idea of fix, improve, and promote, these are ideas that, that anyone you know, at any level can basically wrap their head around. Um, the other thing that's nice about it is that form um, automatically makes that information more interesting to certain individuals. So fix is obviously much more interesting on the engineering side, you know, improve on the product side, promote on the marketing side. Um, so that automatically channels or buckets your feedback so you can give less of it. And, and yes, there is a chance to get overwhelmed if we're doing this every week, but if you're not 
feeding everyone from a fire hose raw data and you know you're feeding them the things they care about then they can consume it and, and find value in it and be very appreciative of it in either environment um, do you guys kind of step back from an individual test and do trend data sort of a cross test if you work with a customer on an ongoing basis um, we do, and, and we actually also do it across all of our tests. So last year, we did a ton of trend data against, I want to say it was 50, uh, 52 tests, actually. We, we picked one a week, and, and we did um, trend data across all of those. This year, um, I want to say we got really ambitious, and we did, uh, the last number I heard was like 240 or 250. It was a crazy number of tests that, that we pulled data from, and it just happens to be we assigned someone to do it full time, <laughs> um, whereas last time it was a product manager on our team who got interested in that data and basically did it you know, in, in his 11th hours. Um, he actually has a, an associate product manager this year who got assigned that task. And uh, I want to say he went wild and, and pulled, you know, hundreds of projects. So, so yes, and we don't do it as much for our individual customers as we would like to. Um, that's something we're looking more at now. We've actually been implementing some things on our, our platform to make that a little bit easier. Um, one thing that we're focusing on very heavily in 2019, just as a company, is really thinking more about ROI and how to present ROI. Um, not exactly from our services side, but rather for our SaaS customers, you know, what we exist to enable an industry of customer validation professionals, and that is a very sort of young or nascent industry. So what we're looking to do is give them all of the ammo they need to go up the chain and show how valuable this is. And that can be pretty challenging because it does impact so many things and so many teams, and there's so many intangible values. Um, so that's something that we're going to be focusing a lot on in 2019 is we're sort of committing um, a ton of resource to helping companies assess um, what they get out of this at, at a broader scheme and how it affects releases and how it affects the bottom line and so on. So maybe next year we'll, we'll be talking with you on that, but that's something we're really passionate about figuring out for everybody. Awesome. All right. So back to our, our uh, sort of continuous release environment testing. What Sort of some quick best practices that for those who are doing this on their own and don't have the luxury of a center code, uh, some quick best practices. Um, first and foremost, you, you need a group of people who have the right mindset that understand that they're in um, for the long haul. And like I said, they also have to understand that they can leave if they want to, but your goal is for, of course, that to be the minimal. You don't want to constantly replenish everybody. So one thing to do is, is treat it not just like a continuous uh, customer testing program, but more like a customer advisory board. You know, people love to be heard. They love to shape the products that um, they use and, and that help them and improve their lives. So you need to not just say, hey, I'm, I'm going to use you here as my you know, testing resource, but rather um, I need your input and I need you as a, as a customer advisory um, board member. And, and that will do um, a lot for their mentality. All of customer validation, the big challenge is just the psychology of it, is you're basically giving broken products to strangers and expecting meaningful feedback to build a better product it's a tall order, um, and, and for anyone that's done it before, they, they typically understand that. So you need to sort of make sure that everybody has the right mindset. And, and the other thing that we're very passionate about is, is being very, very transparent. You know, one of the first things you want to do is get everybody under NDA. Um, you know, a lot of people worry about things like leaks and beta and whatnot, and I can tell you from vast experience of thousands of tests, very rarely happens. It's just not nearly as, as prolific as you might think. 
Um, and so you get all those people under a DA and then you need to be open with them and, and be very transparent with them, uh, admit problems, be humble with them, you know, work with them and, and reward them and thank them for that. Um, it really is about sort of managing those, those relationships with those customers. Um, so that's number one. Number two, um, I would say, and sort of off the top of my head is, is it's really, really important to not, um, make everyone sort of drink from a fire hose internally is these types of tests can produce a lot of information. And if you give everybody everything, they're all going to do nothing. Um, it's very, very important that you channel that feedback and sort of bucket it appropriately. Like I said, um, this concept of FIPS that I keep talking about, fix, improve, promote, is, is not a difficult concept and it doesn't require our platform in any way to think that way. Um, but it does very much channel your feedback into appropriate hands. And this type of test, again, it, it's multimedia. It collects many different types of things. Um, it's very important that the engineers get what they need to take action, that the product team gets what they need, that marketing, in some cases, sales support is a really key, key resource. Um, it's about making sure that, that each of these stakeholders has what is important to them. Um, so that's, that's pretty critical. Uh, beyond that, um, one of the questions that comes up pretty much every time is incentives and, and how you sort of reward and, and thank people for this. Um, one thing to keep in mind is that this is not a um, this is not a paid gig. This is not something where your your testers are getting paid to be here. If you're giving out incentives, it's typically a thank you of some sort. Um, one nice thing in, in these spaces is a lot of products that are continuous have some sort of continuous cost to them. So for example, a subscription fee or an adjacent product subscription fee. If you can cover that, um, the perceived value of that is typically very high. Um, we did some research once into, you know, kind of looking into the perceived value of different things. And for example, something, this is an off example, but it just kind of gives you the message. Um, a Netflix subscription is incredibly inexpensive. You know, everybody sort of agrees that, that the value of, of a Netflix or a Hulu or, or an Amazon Prime subscription is, is very inexpensive. But the perceived value of it, what it adds to your life is very, very high. Um, so the return on investment for using that as an incentive can be very high. Um, in most subscription uh, product types, that, that's very true. Um, some other research that, that we experienced once that was really interesting is how people have a very specific bandwidth, a mental bandwidth for how many subscriptions um, they will allow into their life. And, and every subscription that you add um, takes away one of those. And therefore, any subscription you take away, um, them not having to mentally wrap their minds around paying for that, even if it's only five or 10 bucks and it's ticking away at their bank account, um, it's very high value to them. So you know, what I'm sort of saying again in kind of a long-winded way is, is if your product has a subscription and you can give that away for free, um, if it's 10, 20 bucks or, you know, if it's B2B, it could be much more than that, um, but very low cost to you in, in the software context, um, that can be a very, very high perceived value, which motivates that, that tester to stick around and be very engaged. Um, the other thing you want to do is form a community amongst these users. Um, as part of it is these users need to be able to collaborate, you know, if not with our platform and in some other way. Um, typically, this is a very exclusive experience. It's not available to everybody. And for a lot of reasons, the confidentiality and, and so on, limiting risk. Um, but letting them communicate and form relationships gives them a reason to keep coming back. So we want to think of every one of these sort of product lines or, or test as a small community of exclusive members um, who are here to sort of make that product better and shape that product. And again, those psychological elements can just go an enormous way toward keeping these people engaged.
great. That's a lot of great tips, Luke. And I know that if people want more tips, you guys have an amazing resource library. Uh, I think it's centercode.com slash library. Absolutely. Chock full of other ones. They can hear the recording of our fantastic webinar last week. Um, anything else? Any other places that you would send them for information on this if they want to dig in deeper to a topic that you're obviously passionate about? Um, definitely our website as a whole, you know, there's, there's a couple of sections, obviously they're pitching what we do, but the vast majority of our website is, um, educational resources. We've produced, you know, thousands of pages at this point, uh, of information on this. And you can just go sort of search the blog and find a million topics or dive into any of the, the deeper content. And, and moving forward, our, our plan is to get a, a new significant piece of content out basically every month. So um, at the very least, go and you can sign up for our newsletter or, or download a piece of content and, and be notified of, of those types of things. Um, also, we're doing roadshows around the country. So once a month, pretty much, we're in a different place. And I go and speak for a good hour. We typically have a customer, some name you'll probably recognize, um, speak as well about their experiences in customer validation. And then we just do sort of a dinner and networking event. And we're doing those. We have one in Seattle next week that's on our site. We're doing them pretty much every month. And those are a great way to come and meet people. Um, they're well attended by product managers and customer validation professionals. Um, so there's there's a lot of good networking capabilities and, and a lot of great companies do show up. Um, so those are a great resource. And, and again, events are also on our website. And then we have a, a couple larger events planned for next year as well, which uh, which we're going to be announcing in the next few weeks. So there's, there's a lot of resources that are constantly coming in. Um, and then, of course, you know, one of the things that we offer that's that's sort of unique as part of our process is if you have a product in mind, we'll actually write a test plan for you for free and sort of walk you through that interview process. And we do it, you know, in part for relationship building and, and we kind of use it as a proposal for a test. But there's no sort of commitment or obligation on your part. You'll get a test plan regardless. And uh, then you can you know, use that information to go and, and run your own test as, as well. So there's a lot of uh, kind of neat things you can do with that. So, but yeah, we, we consider sort of content education to be a, a major pillar of our company. So we're constantly putting out new information. All right. Well, thank you, Luke, for joining me. It has been an absolute pleasure to have you on. Thank you so much, Rebecca. It's great and, and love working with you guys and, and love the audience and, and definitely welcome the questions. Um, I can be reached at Luke at centercode.com. If anyone wants to, to reach out to me, I'm happy to answer questions anytime or, or get engaged. Um, we are incredibly passionate about this. And if you're ever in Southern California, feel free to stop by. Awesome. All right. That does it for today's episode. Thanks, everyone, for listening. And don't forget to join us next week when we tackle another great topic designed to help you elevate your product, your company, and your career.